Oh, I am a year old kid, and I'm worth scarcely fifteen quid. I'm the kind of beast you might well look down on, but my value will increase at the time of my decease. For when I grow up, I'm going to be a bowman. If you kill me for me meat, oh, you won't find me sweet. Your palate, I'm afraid I'll soon turn so wrong. But if you do me in for the sake of my thick skin, you'll find I make a tasty little bowrong. Now, me parents, Bill and Nan, they do not approve my plan to become a yoke for every of the pound on. But I would sooner scamper with a bang than with a whimper and achieve reincarnation as a bowrong. I look forward to the day when I leave off eating hay and become a drone to entertain the crowd on. And I'll make my presence felt with each well-delivered belt as a fully qualified and licensed bowrong. You listen to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad and I'm sitting and relaxing in Ronstown County Galway in the Bowron Makers Shop and lots around about me but that's Maliki Cairns and Maliki has been manufacturing or I should say crafting and creating wonderful bowrons for over 30 years and uh, a native of originally can he, is, he tells me he's half Dublin half Sligo and uh, in Dublin uh, grew up in an interesting part of the city Maliki thanks a million for coming along <coughs> that we can have a chat yeah good day sir <laughs> so um, you're, you're Dublin Sligo I grew up in, in um, not quite Dublin 4 but um, kind of equivalent I grew up in the inner sanctum of Dublin 4 <laughs> for the world for better <coughs> my father ran a farm for the Irish Christian Brothers it was their world headquarters there was a second 70 acre farm and a state in Booterstown yeah. and then there was a farmyard separate from the main Christian Brothers dwellings which are both majestic buildings, magnificent. So <coughs> there I was, two miles from the city centre, a few minutes on a Sunday morning, two minutes from the beach, Bruce Sound, Blackrock, and a beautiful farmyard all to myself. And yes, so the, the farmyard, that was my world, my Mecca, and I was very privileged to have a private upbringing like that even though we didn't own the land or anything so Marky what years are you talking about uh, I was born in 1953 so same as myself uh, yeah and but then whatever was in me I always loved going to Sligo every weekend summer Easter Christmas as well even from the time I was five or six now I was on the train sometimes on my own but my yeah. uncle was a chick- ticket checker right you know you could do things right like <laughs> and then somebody collected me at the train station in Colonia in Sligo yes my mother's from Ballasadere Sligo and but my aunt there had a pub farm quarry gypsy rover caravan stop bed and breakfast restaurant with an area for weighing wool you know there was a lot of activity with cattle and vets and that issue but I loved the soul of all of that it was bigger than business everything that was going on every day at 7 o'clock in the morning I had to make a ham sandwich and a pot of tea for the bus driver now when I come to my shop in the morning now and I'm making a pot of coffee myself I have to really give somebody a cup of coffee it's not about money you know yeah. because that's what I did and it was yeah. lovely and then the bus driver would leave a bag of a day was in for half my dinner or somebody right. later on to come to the bar and it rolled along always like that and the soul of 
rural life and that it's beautiful and can work it was mapped to me when I was 10 I, I remember when I was 10 the north of Ireland people were great for tips in the bar I was allowed to work in the bar on a Sunday for an hour making mm-hmm. Irish coffees and <clears throat> but the north of Ireland were great for tips so at the end of one summer I had 10 pounds tips and I had gone from my head to my gut I felt rural tourism at a different level I knew it works <laughs> and that's how you end up kind of at the time I moved here to Roundstones West Connemara next stop is you know New York we're at the end of a lane in Western Europe an old Francisco Monastery here is where I'm based um, but it didn't seem like a good idea to say my sisters and that you know they were worried about me I, I used to work for Dutch engineering consultants but around that time my daughter was getting to four and I was thinking about there was a project in Saudi I was looking at for working a three year project meant ten years when you get into it but my daughter would be going to an international school there now but I didn't like how they viewed and treated women mm-hmm. and I just did a complete turnaround mm-hmm. from instead of going to Saudi I went to West Colorado mm-hmm. and <coughs> my sister at the time one of them in, in the UK she worked with Norma Fowler he was the health minister at the time she mm-hmm. was private secretary in his constituency mainly and she was trying to arrange discreet psychiatric treatment for me in the UK maybe you know that uh, something was wrong if I was walking out of a super career job and a four and a half year old child and anything you know uh, but uh, it's all part of the excitement <laughs> Yes, very much part of the excitement. But what I found fascinating is a few things. One is Boulderstown in the time you're talking about, which would have been like the mid 60s going on, so 70s. Mm. I know I went to Dublin uh, to work 1972. Yeah. And I, and I had an aunt living up on, uh, or a cousin living on Boulderstown Avenue. Right. And uh, I wasn't aware as such that there would have been this huge. Uh, farming uh, area nobody, nobody was there was just tiny gates off Bootstown Avenue that we used yeah. and there was never even cars entering off there yeah. there was another main entrance to that estate uh, on the Slogan Road near the end of Foster's Avenue yeah. but even that was kind of insignificant it, n- nobody, people who went to schools and everything, nobody, it was tucked away yeah. and I was tucked away yeah. I remember meeting a journalist guy, a friend, a fellow I went to school with, he was here one time. And he was thinking, here we are at the end of a lane in West Connor. And he said to me, You were always tucked away. <laughs> <laughs> then he said to me, <coughs> He had been looking around, and my wife was from Ghana, West Africa. And she's a very beautiful Ghanaian woman. And she plays Bauron beautifully. And she tells the story about the Bauron in her way, in a better way than me, by far. Because we give talks on the craft of Bauron making it out right. here. And Gifty helps me. Uh, most people say she does the talk better than me, and I'm delighted. Uh, but this guy said, what have you got that gets such a beautiful black woman to sit down there at the end of a lane in Western Europe? <laughs> Played the bower on all day. I thought, is something going on here? <laughs> so you were being given the opportunity, literally, to beat your own drum. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And <clears throat> it was never my plan, you know. I still try, you know, I struggle with, you know, there's God's plans and my plans. And, you know, really, when I look settle a bit, uh, like early this morning, I had that struggle in my mind about would I retire, would I half retire, would I sell a bit? I'm selling some land here at the factory. Right. It's very beautiful it's impossible to get 
fully serviced land at the water in Ralston. But it's still not sold, you know, and there's people him and on and then I, I forget there's God's plan. See, I, I this morning I wanted it done and dusted. Yeah, but that's not the way it works. Yeah, he's a different I price. Example. He's a different price in mind for you. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Yeah, it's just <coughs> so you're down to the negotiations. I'm settled now for a while today. <laughs> Excuse me. So, um, so deciding to emigrate from Dublin, and I can relate to that because mm. I wanted to emigrate out of Dublin too, get yeah. down the country. Um, right. And uh, it's a different life in every respect. It's just the whole. It's it's not even just the pace. It's just the whole ethos of life. Um, but it's not just then. You you made a career change because to go from what would have been um, high pressure, high stress, very structured. To oh, I worked in all multi-million projects yeah. around the world with the, like airports. A lot of it was pharmaceutical plants going up in Ireland, turnkey bases they call it. Yeah. But the client just turned the key and yeah. went into the factory. I had to see everything was done. Yeah. And that, it was fabulous. But so is Roundstone. <laughs> so, so you come from that um, whirlwind world uh, and you, you step off and you come down here and you get into the Art of Boron making. What was your background that, that kind of... That hooked me into that? Well, that's even, first of all, the yeah. possibility existed. Well, one of the best learnings I've had in life is everything special in my life, like, say, meeting my wife now, or getting into borrow making and moving to Connemara, all these things, always came from when I was kind of innocently helping somebody with no agenda just yeah. to help them a bit so I had a friend in Dublin Wilson Avenue Joe Porter he was a great harp maker master craftsman and uh, we palled around together you know had a few drinks together and that and, uh, but Joe didn't like paperwork and admin and trying to get nuns to pay the full price and all that at schools and so I used to send the invoice in advance to schools and deliver the harps for them and get the full amount and I loved that. It was only a half an hour's work, you know. But uh, Joe knew a bit about barrel making, but he also knew that to make a business out of barrel making is very hard work. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want to do it. No, he didn't need to either. He was above that level. His craftsmanship was unique. He was the greatest craftsman I ever met. And. But we kind of got together, drifted into that, and we started looking at making two whistles of green tops and concertinas. And I remember the concertina had 2,000 move parts or something, and we were looking at all these things, you know, because I had an engineering background. Not, I'm not an engineer, but I worked with engineers mm -hmm. every day in my career. <coughs> and the IDA had started, this is an old Franciscan monastery here, but the IDA was a new beautiful initiative they decided to develop here with small craft units and 10 houses where you could come and rent a house with an option to purchase and get into your business and do it and it was one of the best initiatives the IDA ever did in mm -hmm. a way for rural Ireland mm -hmm. but Roundstone now the chairman of the IDA lived in Roundstone half the year anyway he knew that housing was a major problem here in the summer and therefore you can't have staff you mm -hmm. know, if you're competing with you know, so that's why they did it and I wish they'd do more of it because now the trend towards a belief in living in the country and working from home with that and the sole benefits of that is huge people are really aware since Covid shut down 
So, but anyway, that was a great opportunity to move to Roundstone with the house, the workshop, and I must say, very special assistance from the IDA. And uh, here we are. We, we became successful, you know, there was 25 working here, exporting Bowrons mainly. He does the music gift and souvenir market. And uh, so sometimes I get ridiculed because I make Bowrons with a design on them or something. Mm -hmm. That's the gift market or whatever, a mm -hmm. choice by somebody. It's not my choice. It's mm -hmm. And. But I wanted to create jobs here, mm -hmm. and I'm doing that, and it's cost me, in a silent way, there's a backlash around that, you know, you make bow runs for tourists kind of thing. But I'm still here 40 years later, and I did create the jobs, and all those young people invited me to their weddings, and saw them grow up. And yeah. right. You know, when you say that, there's a certain irony. The irony is like, you know, Guinness make an awful lot of product for the tourists. And there's no backlash. Great point. Thank you. That's it. There's no more to say. It's a fabulous point. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, if anyone, like if you think about what's the purpose of a market, but putting something in front of a potential buyer that they actually are interested in. And, <coughs> you know, like you, we all try to fill somebody else's desire or need. Of course, the market in reality dictates Correct. for business decisions. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. go by the yeah. mind thinking of a few conservatives, you know. Yeah, or, or, or somebody mm. who, who doesn't have any skin in the game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, no, and when you t talk about the, the decorative barons, even, that like that's going to Canada now this afternoon. Fantastic. So that spiral, the spiral in, in old world wisdom and in the Sufi maybe even uh, you know the old wisdom they had there was always trees like the spiral has three aspects to it it could be earth, wind, fire birth, death, marriage right. or very into that picture. whatever it is about wisdom and psychology there's threes and combination of threes like nines if you take the Enneagram heart, head, gut <coughs> so I like that design it's going to a friend of mine in Canada actually uh, that's a present for somebody and to be honest it's very soulful you know that the oldest but it's for Newgrange that design yeah. yeah but the other thing when you mention that again you don't I wouldn't think your potters being criticised because pottery is decorated <coughs> yes that's a very good point as well but there's a lady in Australia Caroline Jane or Caroline Jane she's a superb musician and she speaks Irish mm. and she saw some of this stuff on German websites ridiculing me it was very nasty see it was in German I never saw it right. but she saw it and she was so enraged by it that she started up a whole campaign supporting me but mm. these people that sell barons they call them lambeg skins you know there's goat skin there's human skin there's no lambeg animal and their whole selling process is based on lambeg skin which is a load of you know it's a con yeah. using yeah. a marketing word or buzzword yeah. and uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes because I don't care and the whole thing in all these <coughs> things is that when you do something for the love of yourself and when, mm. when you're doing bringing some joy into somebody <coughs> else's life as long as you're not harming anybody, what difference does it make? Oh yeah, I love the sound of the Bowron. See, yeah. the word Bowron means death or from deep within. 
Now our life centre is in our gut. Right. So the old time Irish language, the Irish language, the heart language, they were trying to say that in a word. So that's how the word Bauron evolved, which it means death or deep, deep within, you know. Mm. And it's beautiful how the word Bauron even evolved. And it's a soul instrument. And it should be respected that way. But it's very exciting for me to, to realize now the most revered and probably the best drumming technique in the world is how the Bauron is played with both hands interacting directly. Your one hand tucked behind the skin, yeah. the other is playing a beat or it used to be a bone, the leg of yeah. a goat has started that way. But it allows for huge rhythms and change in, in everything and energy and the dexterity that's in all that now with young players is unbelievable. And here I find myself that I'm at the core of that the best drumming technique in the world. It's a lovely thing. And also at the core of what is the one of the, I guess, would it be the most common, and I don't mean common in, the, in a soft sense, but the most common, you know, or the most universal native method of expression insofar as the First Nations in Canada have the, their drums and in, the, the, in Australia they have their drums. The drum is very much an expression of culture right around the world. Oh it is, it's vital. Like if you look at it in war, like you have one drum, one voice, it unifies a, a moving forward in war. Yeah. If you look at the Japanese, <coughs> their spirituality is hugely based around taiko drumming and you know they have huge drums for well, one aspect is they release all three feelings, trouble feelings mainly through drumming. Right. Uh, it takes them from your gut to outside of you. So, um, Malky, then <coughs> bringing something like this to the point where it is globally recognised as a craft, and you have uh, rec musicians whose names are well known uh, who are using your bowrons. Oh, I saw it lovely even there last week. Uh, Bill Whelan, who create Riverdance. Yes. I kept the first two years sets of drums that I made for Riverdance, the stage drums for Riverdance. I made them, designed them, made them. Right. And I kept as heritage the older drums in the beginning. But Bill brought his Moroccan grandson here the other day to stand on the Riverdance drums and take a photograph. All right. And you know it's lovely, all these things. It's really beautiful young fella and I notice with him he listens so carefully to adults again with my Ghanaian son and family that's the core of their culture you listen to elders and it, the connection between greatness and listening is I've seen is huge agreed I remember when my son was getting to 16 or he made comic development you know the rugby yes. age he was captain of Sligo Grammar Rugby. I have to say that because I think it's great. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, I remember the coach at Connacht and said, we could do anything with this. He really listens. Yeah. You see, he's Ghanaian. He listened to his mother when he was two, if he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it had to. Yeah. But uh, yeah, listening creates greatness. It does. But um, the other thing I think over the last 30 years since you would have started your craft is the Bowron has become much more uh, accepted. Because, you know, the standard jokes go all around like, uh, what's the best way to play a Bowron? With a pen knife and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
Well, it has, you see, going back to when I started making Balrons, you know, in the early 1970s, or 76, around then or so, I lived beside Pada Marcier, who was the Balron player and founder of the Chieftains. Right. Now, I realise now more deeply, I was very blessed to have a tutor like that, a kind spiritual man that gave me loads of time and encouragement. But he had started this, at that time, or around the, they used to just tap the Balron on stage. Right. It was used a lot in plays, you know, like Sive and all those things. And uh, it was more a beat. Yeah, it was more. That's right. Yeah, more drum beat. You know, yeah. more. And Padder developed this technique of one hand behind the skin, and then these rolling controlled rhythms, yeah. and then leading the music even as well. And there he was, showing me all of this and writing me out lovely notes about it on bits of cardboard from boxes, you know, we'd pull a bit of card to write yeah. down what he was trying to say. And that's how he created every aspect of how the Bowen was really played, which is the most unique playing technique in the world of manual percussion. Mm. And wasn't I blessed to find myself having all that and uh, yeah, had a kind so, Malky, when you came down here and then set up the business and you say you had 25 people working here at stages, uh, you were shipping all over the world, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I used to get nice invitations from on post, even the postal tart here, to say, like, the Galway races, you know, full dining and all that. I was a good customer of on post. They could keep an extra van on this route. Right. <coughs> because of what we had gone out every day alone. They used to pick up the parcels from factory door which was unusual in those days it sort yeah. of happens now but it was great and they still are great yeah. and uh, I see rural post offices now closing down but at the same time I see banks not doing what banks were supposed to do a license to do and uh, hopefully the post offices um, can stay strong for another year because rural life is changing dramatically mm-hmm. and people moving to the country and really feeling the benefits of the sole benefits of being in the country and working at home and there's been a huge change in the psyche of people and how they they work and and enjoy they just enjoy living in the moment you'll get to that more easily in the country everything here is gentler mm-hmm. the people that's what drove me originally in Sligo the business was more gentle when I was a kid working around and on but everything here is gentler there's summer gentle sound that can lead you to uh, stillness to understand I stop every morning at Coral Beach outside Ballykeneely here I live in Clifton so I have a 20 minute drive which is beautiful majestic drive which I've never for a moment thought I'd seen it before mm-hmm. it's okay I'm in awe every day and then I stop at the beach for five minutes and listen to the radio maybe a quick call or something that's, uh, this leads to kind of a stillness or an ease like <coughs> all good corporate people should go to Man of Coral Beach Valley Keneally <laughs> if they're trying to figure out some things and get a clear mind <laughs> When Jeremy Lanigan battered to Wettel, he hadn't a shilling, his father died. Made him a manigan, left him a famine, ten acres of ground. Myself to be sure, got invitations for the boys and girls I may task. Being asked friends and relations, danced the keys around the sweet cask. There was lashing to drink wine for the ladies, but dead as some with his back in them tear. Nolan's, Dolan's, Alty, O'Grady's, courting the girls and dancing away. 
wild songs went round There's plenty as what at the habit when some lips so Tara's old hall Millie Gray and the Rackatcher's daughter singing together at Lannigan's ball Six long months I spent in Dublin Six long months to put nothing at all Long months I spent in Dublin learning to dance for Lannigan's ball She stepped out, I stepped in again I stepped out and she stepped in again She stepped out, I stepped in again learning to dance for Lannigan's ball Maliki, we've been out here chatting and we're in the, the store and there have been a few people coming in and out. It's relatively quiet. How has it been during COVID? Uh, COVID was hard going, you know, because the maid order also died. Obviously, people were panicked, no money and fear about money. So that was very severe as well. Uh, but we managed, and I, I really don't know how... <laughs> When you said the mail order died, one of the things that I thought I'd heard was that there were a lot of people who were picking up the ukulele during COVID. And I would I noticed you had some ukuleles here. You didn't see there is, and there's something. There's a ukulele festival in Cork, I think, in yeah. the year, something like that. It's huge in Ireland in the last ten or fifteen years. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, interesting enough, over the last year, the amount of people that have emailed me saying, "I have an old barrel I took down from the attic, and I want to just get it repaired, renovated, or touched up." Those kind of inquiries was maybe 20 times more than they used to be. Right. And uh, they were kind of chatty inquiries, you know, people right. had time, obviously, you know. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, yeah, so sometimes, I mean, every day I would dream with stuff maybe from Canada or Tokyo or somewhere in Kerry I never heard of her. Yeah. It's very nice, you know. Now, we're in a Bowron shop, but it's not just a Bowron shop. This is very much a haven down here. This is a. There's, there's, you come through the door here and you're not coming into. Um, uh, you're coming somewhere where you want to sit down, you want to relax, you want to feel at home. And yeah. that's a compliment to you on what you've created here. Oh, sorry, this is a play shop. This is my play shop. When I was 10, I had a play shop in my head. And the little tractors and trailers from the cornflakes box, you got them, you know. I remember that. And I'd have a little farm and I'd deliver stuff to my shop. And I was doing all these little things on a big board thing. Right. Play shop. So it's a play shop. Yeah. And it'll become a smaller play shop when I retire, scale back a bit or take a bit of money out of here. And I'm selling land surrounding land and that. Hopefully right. uh, And uh, But I'd, I could never give up meeting nice people who have given themselves time to be in Connemara. You could see them every day in New York, maybe opposite, maybe you've been neighbor to them, and it's good morning, good evening. But I see them when they've decided to let their soul be with the day. Another thing that we didn't really cover, but it was mentioned someone when, a while ago, someone dropped in here and they asked, like, who has been on stage or who has used the Bowrons? And I know there's hardly a Bowron player across the world that hasn't graced the stages of the, whether it be the New York Opera House, um, Madison Square Gardens, uh, the National Concert Hall here in Dublin, uh, I know, and the um, National Arts Centre probably in Ottawa. But mm -hmm. the tour Bowrons have been all over the place. Like oh yeah, I love it. And I remember when, when I got married to Gifty, my wife from Ghana, yes. Kevin Kniff happened to be playing in Carnegie Hall in New York, is it? Yeah. Uh, there was a concert that night and he did a special piece for Gifty, the lady whose smile could light up Ireland on a bad day. Right. And sure we love it all. 
<laughs> and um, I know uh, Christy Moore is uh, uh, one as well that is famous for his bow on play oh yeah he sent me one time a photograph written on it was he was paying me for some bow he had done a world tour and I think here for a so yeah so Christy was saying he needs some prayer to a bow well, he, I kneel in prayer towards Roundstone, towards Roundstone, where they're made, you know. Right, yeah. And uh, it was a check attached to this photograph. The great thing about he paid me, he does everything in A separate thing about Christie, I, I must say, he always acknowledges who has written his the music and the songs, or he credits um, the people who have helped him along the way when he's on stage. Oh, yeah, you see, he always credits John Riley, say he was from Roscommon, I think. Yeah. yeah. A great singer. Traveller, kind of the original kind of Irish music man that Christy learned a lot from, and yeah. he learned a lot of his music in clubs in England and Scotland. That's right, that's right. Yeah, where the Irish had become more Irish, really. Yes, right. Yeah, and uh, oh, it's great to be somehow touching that great spirit of Irish music and Irishness and. So, we're going to wrap up, Malachi, and if people want to get in touch with you or find you, are you out there on the web or if I swear? Oh, yeah, bowron.com, B O D H R A N.com. That's kind of easy. That gets me. Yeah. And uh, there's an email and that as well, and yeah. we answer very efficiently. We're very high tech here. Uh, but you, know, you don't get any formal replies we don't do that right. and that's led in itself to another story and another day I've had some of the funniest replies to replies I sent from top uh, executives in the state you know a lot of them like to have a bar on their wall that as well yeah. it's to stay with their family crest it's the state and we are Irish right. and then I would crack jokes about the crest and that they were tinkers originally from Tipperary and we can't do that crest we'll have to change it a little bit and all fun but Maliki Kearns has been a real honour and a real pleasure having yeah, a chat and good day to Canada I have to get there yet I've never been to Canada I've been to 40 countries but I want to go for t- unless I have two weeks I'll never go to Canada you need three you need three right. not four yeah but I'm getting there yeah.